welcome to the last official episode of our first year here at Old Takuno Radio. Jared and I decided a ways back that we were going to finish up this season by revisiting the sequel to the focus of our first official Old Taku no Radio podcast, Showa Genroku Rakugo Shinju. We're doing this for a few reasons. First and foremost, our differing reactions to the second season demanded this discussion. Uh, secondly, we wanted to make up for the plot-heavy discourse uh, we had in our first episode and prove our more succinct analytical style. And lastly, we just fucking love this show. If you haven't seen the original, this is definitely not the place to start. Go on over to Crunchyroll, watch the first season, and since you'll obviously fall in love with that, watch the second season, and then come back to listen to this, uh, because spoilers, in a major way. And with all that said, uh, my absolutely wonderful co-host Jared is going to lay down some summary for Descending Stories, the second season of Showa Genroku Rakugo Shinju. So, season two of this show starts off about maybe a little more than uh, nine months after the end of the last episode in season one. Uh, we've And to recap... The last episode of season one had in it, at the very end, a 10-year jump in the present-day timeline to where <laughs> one of our main characters for the second season, Yotaro, uh, has become a Shin Uchi, which is like the, the, the highest level of Rakugo practitioner that you can be before you are really considered and ascend to a master position. So the the lives of our, our characters that we were so looking forward to seeing more about in the first season of Rakugo, and then we don't get to see any more of them until the end of the first season, now we're back to them. We're going to get into their lives, and the story really, really kind of starts here, even though you had this massive, beautiful uh, first season uh, that was all backstory. Was it easy to reconnect with those characters after after such an absence it was for me the first time i watched it it was like oh thank god it's finally back on um you know like um the 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 very beginning could not be more perfect where it's just sort of a tongue-in-cheek uh monologue by yotaro going so i kept my my head down for about a year and here we are i didn't really rewatch the first season to get into the second season now part of that is because we were doing anime of the year stuff at the end of last year and i was you know i had seen plenty of it by that point um so it, for me it wasn't very difficult i i was so enthralled by the first season that i was just really looking forward to getting back to it and so this the some of the nuance was lost on me but but i got very quickly back up to speed how about you i rewatched the last two episodes uh of the first season specifically because there's an event in this season that ties into that and I needed to remember the direct circumstance and the reason I'm being mm -hmm. so damn vague is because we will have a spoiler section yes. <laughs> because this, yes. this, this, this season holy crap uh, but no I had, I had zero trouble like like you said the, that opening monologue addressed directly to the anime viewing audience um, and that just put me right back in it I remembered the fool I remembered how he fit into the stories and the, the mm -hmm every character behind him it was just a beautiful way to intro the series so if we're if we're thinking very thematically about 
this season as opposed to the last season. One, one of the things that sticks out in my mind is that the first season of Rakugo Shinju, the, the title is very much a literal thing. It's a, it's a, it's a literal event that happens. Uh, Rakugo Shinju. Shinju uh, is, is a word in Japanese that means suicide. It, it tends to mean something to the effect of lover's suicide. And that there, there's a very literal point in the first series where this kind of event happens. And then the second season, rather than that being a literal event, you have, I think, it's more of, a, of, a, of an artistic kind of lover's suicide, so to speak. Um, this is a much more introspective season in a lot of ways than the first season, in my view. Uh, it's it's much less of a period piece because it's a lot closer to our own modern time, uh, and the the tonal shift in that is a bit jarring because it you know it was easy to get back into, but once we got back into it, I think it was we were expecting kind of more of season one, and that's not what happened. It was instead uh, a kind of show where you would jump months or even you know a couple of years uh from episode to episode and it was you know it it was a bit jarring the first time through because i i was not expecting it to take that approach but the second time through i felt like i i i got it and i got why they did that a lot more because i i guess i had deprogrammed myself to expect a different kind of story uh because i definitely think that's what we got in season two the first time going through this, I remember the, the time jumps as being really blunt and really mm-hmm. off-putting. And the second time going through this, I was just like, oh, man, I, that actually is okay. Like you said, it maybe because I wanted a continuance of the first uh, season, which is very much just this extended monologue, much like a Rakugo, about these characters. And mm. that's where I really love the play on the word descending and the, at least the uh, the English uh, translation of the title. Um, I don't know if it translates literally to Japanese as descending stories, but the English translation is perfect because you are dealing with multiple generations going down the line. You are also dealing with the decay of the the stalwart of this dying art <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, something he wants to drag down with him. And that just that word descending is just perfect. And I was like, oh. Okay, I don't. Suddenly, I don't mind the time jumps. It's okay. There's there's more to focus on here than character linear progression. Yeah, definitely so. And and just to to touch on something you said a moment ago about how we're looking at decay and entropy. Those are huge symbolic and and thematic uh, pieces to to this season. Uh, whereas, you know, the color palette even to a large degree for the first season is a lot warmer the the themes are are more you know spring and summer themes there's romance kind of the high and heady times of of our youth of yeah of youth and and of our of our main character from season one his life and just the arc of it by the end of season one he has lost almost everything and he has kind of always longed for the solitude and in his art he finally finds it because by the time that we 
get to that first episode and kind of circle back at the end of season one to that time frame, he's kind of the guy. He's he is Rakugo at this point. There's not a whole lot of other uh, Rakugoka out there um, to to really carry the tradition on. Uh, it's sort of falling by the wayside, and um, it sets up the major question of season two, which is, you know, is he going to be able to take Rakugo with him? Um, and when he eventually goes. Which is an odd threat, because he's made <laughs> his understudies promise to not let that happen. Right. Like, you have to ask, okay, well, why did he do that if he's so intent on just keeping it, you know, and letting it die with him? And right. It's, it's either a challenge... Like, I'm going to do my damnedest to take it with me, and you have to try that much harder to make it live, and that's going to make it better. Or it's yeah. just, I realized what a crappy-ass Rakugo ka you are, <laughs> and it doesn't <laughs> deserve to live past me because I am the ability. <laughs> I mean, it, it really, that's kind of the central conflict of, I think you could argue, the overall story of both of these series is, can this ancient art live on, and... The, the you know it's sort of personified in the conflict air quotes uh, between the eighth Yakumo and his apprentice Yotaro um, and you know it plays out in a very interesting way in season two. How so? Well, um, now now I I want to spoil things, but I'm not going to yet. But let's let's say broadly, themes you see in season two are tra- you know the traditional versus the the new and the radical there's new ideas but there there's tension between wanting to keep the tradition you know and honor the tradition and honor the stories that have come before but then there's also a push uh in in the form of one of the characters uh who is really as close as you get to an antagonist I think in, in the series because he kind of always pops up like a little little gremlin and he's you know <laughs> he's drawn always, that way too. Yeah, and he's always kind of listening in on stuff and you know suggesting to uh, Yotaro the apprentice, hey, you should try these new stories that I wrote, you know, and 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 modernize Rakugo and 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 Yotaro is torn between you know thinking that's a neat idea and wanting to explore it and then also honoring his teacher and his his teacher's departed uh uh best friend and uh somewhat rival uh the second generation Skeroku so there's there's that really that kind of shows that that conflict between the old and the new and that's actually what I really loved about the season as I was rewatching it was just I I dug the fact that they were really trying to make this season be the new Rakugo that was being formed. Because this is different in tone, it's different in... I mean, it's got a lot of the same themes. It has reoccurring images and homages to the last, which is fairly common in Japanese literature. It will always build upon itself to reference. But in, in the show, specifically, it is building a play for a new audience. Whereas the original, um, which I felt had a lot more solid Rakugo sets, like you got the full story, or at least most of the full story. And in this one, until episode six or so, there is no such thing as a full Rakugo story. And it's kind of important to realize who does the first story, who's in the audience, why they're doing it. 
but mm -hmm. also who does the three successive Rakugo, Rakugo stories. We'll talk about that later. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's 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 obviously uh, Yotaro's show here, and mm -hmm. he's trying very much he's, so. He's trying to build the new Rakugo, and this is the anime, and I love that. Yeah, yeah, and despite the fact that this this the show has such an overlay of entropy and death in it, um, it it does kind of over the course of the series show the sort of death and rebirth of. Rock ago as an art form, and you know, by the end of it, it ends on this incredibly triumphant note. But um, anyway, it's it's really it's just beautiful how they wind these themes together and they interweave them together, and it it, it almost has a bit of a gradient effect throughout the second season, from just death and despair and entropy and winter to to spring and renewal and rebirth. I was about to say because death is not absent at all from this uh, second season. In fact, it's 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 the season. Oh, it's all over this. the place. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's acceptance in a way. It's closure mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, but it's also new beginnings, like you said. And Well, and, and two, like the grieving process, right? Like, we, we see the 8th Yakumo continuing to grieve, you know, decades later uh, for the loss of, of two people who he loved more than anything else on the planet. Arguably the only two people he loved. Yeah, and their loss haunts him in a way that becomes manifest by the end of the show. It, it's, And it just sort of speaks to how time doesn't heal all wounds and it doesn't heal them all cleanly mm. um, despite the fact that you know he's the most successful Rakugo performer in the country. He's he is the face and the living symbol of his art form. You know, people know him everywhere he goes. Um, he has a family. He has all these things that um, you know sustain and and nourish him on one level. But but he can't seem to shake the ghosts of the past, maybe even somewhat literally. Hmm. But it, it's it the. The themes in this show, in this second season, I think are it's it's a more it's mu it's absolutely a much more challenging series than the first one, uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, I think one of those ways is because they're they're dealing with such deep and heavy character drama in such a short format of time, and to keep it interesting and exciting and and compelling. Um, you know, it was it. They didn't have all of the same tools to bear uh, when when they were telling the story of you know the the two young hot Rakugo guys <laughs> and all their adventures. You know, like it's hard to tell a story where one of your main characters is older, uh, not because that's not interesting and not compelling. It absolutely can be, and this this proves it. But a lot of people, you know, they they don't want to think about. <laughs> you know their winter years they don't want to think about the, the the end of their own life and it's easy to get it, that kind of introspection going in your own head after watching a few of these especially when you have somebody like uh, the current Yakumo uh, uh. telling a story in close company about his uh, dear friend's death and that story is in essence the birth of modern Rakugo because we're watching this as part of a Rakugo show, 
and the way he delivers it because he is art personified like mm-hmm. congratulations you have written a new rock and ghost story which beckons back to the new character you were alluding to earlier uh, yeah and I love the balls of it because there's so much newness but they had the tools to make this exactly the same as the first they just didn't use it and I like them for it for the state thank that it makes now. god <laughs> I mean, like, because so many shows, so many shows do that, though, Inc. You know, like they, they just say, "Hey, that first season was so good. Let's have twelve more episodes, and it's the same thing." You know, mm-hmm. maybe here's another twist or two. Even shows that we, we that we love and adore, um, that that we consider to be best in class in our top ten, you know, our our you know desert island anime, like, like some dead of them. I mean, yeah, <laughs> of course, like dead leaves. <laughs> Um, you know they they still don't they don't venture out into and really try to break new narrative ground within their own universes and this show does that that's what the second season is and um, I just appreciate the hell out of it especially on the rewatch I feel like I got a lot more nuance and a lot more just richness out of the the rewatch because I. I and, and a lot of us said this um, in anti-Twitter circles when this was coming out at the beginning of this year. But, like, like there was no watching something after Rockago. There was, like, you watch the Rockago episode, and then you go away for a while, <laughs> and you do something that's not watching anime. Because there is there, – this is not just something that you just pick up and, and, and just, oh, I'll just carry on to the next thing. I remember that, too, and I remember that exact feeling of not being able to move on to anything else like right there was a corner in the room and i was there after every <laughs> single episode of this this season um but the the rerun the run through or the rerun through um i did not have that at all right like Neither there did I. there were there were punches and they were definitely not pulled um and i felt them and i was i was sobbing like an idiot through like the latter half of the series and some of the events of the first um but it it didn't really affect me the way it did it the first time around. I couldn't really figure out why. And that is exactly the same thing that happened to me. And I, I think it's because... Were we just expecting too much? Well, no, I don't know that we're expecting too much. I think that, you know, it's kind of it's like you can only find out that Darth Vader's Luke's father one time. I'm sorry, <laughs> by the way, if no one's ever seen Star Wars. Like... Yeah, we that, warned you there'd be spoilers. <laughs> like that, that moment is a moment of high drama, and you'll always see it that way. Like, or you know, even high drama for Star Wars. I mean, you know, no disrespect to Star Wars, but it loses that that just emotional velocity that it has the first time. You know, so because you know it's coming, you can kind of be ready for it. The first time you watch the second season, and you have. You you sit through um, episode six and you see this really triumphant moment for a character that has wanted to do this one thing her entire life and she finally gets to um, or, or you know the the very next episode after it where it's like the opposite of triumph it's like oh god everything I thought I knew is wrong and and it makes all of these other things. 
that much more tragic and that much more horrible, and it reopens all these these traumatic wounds from the first season that you thought you had gotten over, and even all the way up to the end, the very last episode, the the uh, the eleventh episode of this show, it's this fantasy kind of reunion uh, of characters, and it's this wonderful kind of moment that could not happen in in any in any world but the floating world, but it it happens and. It's this beautiful moment, and you feel like you're coming out, like you feel like you're going to be going into that last episode, and it's going to be just a one giant denouement, and like it's it's a victory lap, right? You're just cruising on through, and then this the twelfth episode comes, and it's like, oh yeah, by the way, and it hits you in the face with a sledgehammer, pretty much within the first three minutes of the show. And I don't even know anyone who I I know a lot of people who. who immediately slated this as uh, you know the fictitious anime of the year um, but you know that last episode that that's kind of what threw it off the rails for me if mm-hmm. during the rewatch it was it was done with tact and mm-hmm. kind of playfully with the doddering old people being who they were and with their their lack of attachments to the world just sort of letting things get said but yeah uh, so I forgave it a little more the second time around but I, I I really like had they ended that one episode uh, early, I would not have complained in the slightest. I I wouldn't have complained either. At the same time, it would have been a lesser show, I think, had it not had that final episode. And I'm gonna have more to say about that very that very thing once we're into the spoiler territory because I don't wanna I don't I don't I don't wanna I don't wanna use use that I don't wanna throw that out there just yet. Like that's <laughs> uh, but it's coming, it's coming. Um, like a freight train. <laughs> um, who were you attached to in the second season? Were you attached to the same characters you were attached to in the first place? Or maybe to rephrase that question a little differently, from the very first episode of season one where our current story, which is really where season two's story kind of is framed up, hmm. um, did you go, go into season two with the same – and did you exit season two with the same kind of attachment to characters that you thought you'd have coming out of season one? Um, honestly, I fell in love with Bond uh, <laughs> for, for the for the first season and uh, or the current Yakimo, also Kikuhiko. Uh, all of those, I fell in love with him. And it's horrible because it's cliche. It's just the artist in love with art and you know being art, and that is all there is. And then he realizes his own life is art. Uh, mm-hmm. But still, I loved him just for his his strict keeping to the art itself and mastering it and refining its talents. And I like even more like I I like the series for honing in on this is the fact that they have that um, reviewer of Rakugo. Defi- oh yeah, define the three types of Rakugo, and I love the fact that this season is the third type. Because you have the first season, which explores the first two, which are um, Rakugo as a tool of the storyteller to tell stuff about him and how he's feeling. He gets it out through the story, so it's a very personal, very egotistical thing. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of almost a weapon, you could say. Uh, and then there's the um, Skuroku side, which is putting himself into every character just to make everybody laugh because he wants Mm -hmm. that's what it is to him it's an an enlightenment thing and the fact that it is enlightening and laughter 
you know, there's yeah. a lot of light brought into people's lives. And uh, this, the third season, concentrates on what Yotaro specializes in later on, which is basically just letting the characters and the stories tell themselves by telling the, the stories and becoming those characters to the utmost of his capabilities. Mm -hmm. And I really love that. Mm -hmm. And I was almost swayed, but no, I'm still bummed. I, I, I love uh, the Atheakamu. Um He will be one of my favorite characters in anime, uh, warts and all, uh, probably for all time. Um, I really, I, I kind of felt like I was going to like Yotaro from the very first moment we meet him. Oh, but he's such a fool. The, the second season, just, he is so great. You know, it's easy to kind of say, oh, he's just like Skeroku, which, which he kind of is in some ways, but, but he's, he's definitely not in, in others. He's, um, you know, for for one thing, he's he's not nearly as kind of broken inside as Skeroku was. Um, that was kind of like the theme of the first season was was broken people, um, and the second season is kind of broken people healing. And you know, he has he has his own hangups, but he his kind of fierce devotion to the people he cares about and his absolute love for Rakugo. I mean, like this is one thing like. Despite their differences in style, Yakumo and Yotaro both love, love, love Rakugo. Um, they they love it in slightly different ways and for, for different reasons. But um, Yotaro really he he really grew on me throughout the throughout this season. I, I will totally agree with you there, and I'll I'll put it up to two things. The first is the writing's incredible in the series. Just oh, so good. Absolutely incredible. Not not just having the characters do a Rakugo set because that's a traditional story being told again. I've seen the same Shinigami story told in Folk Tales from Japan like at least two or three times. Uh, it never gets old, but the writing here brings out the humanity of the characters through that story, and that's a very important point. Uh, also, the fact that the series, uh, it's, it's no longer... It, it, it doesn't make... Rakugo, a piece to serve as a parallel, is woven into the characters' lives as so much as does weave Rakugo into the daily lives of its characters. And yeah. it's so important because throughout the series you see people wanting Rakugo as a lullaby, as a comforting de device, um, and so many other just daily situations. This is, I mean, this is a story lover's uh, oasis because it's simply people who love stories being around people who tell stories. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is a show all about storytellers. Yeah, it's gorgeous. About their lives, about their art, about their their finding their art in their lives and finding their lives in their art. Um, this is this is a very old Taku no Radio core show. <laughs> If, you, if you're the type who complains that there are no older figures in anime, just watch this. You see yeah. at least, you know, three generations die. Yeah, you cover close to a century of time between the two between, between the two shows. And God bless Matsuda. He still manages to somehow make it. 95! Go, Matsuda! And I'm, we're 
going to talk about that more in the spoilers because there's a yes. time I bawled so fucking hard and I felt yes. so fucking stupid for it. <laughs> well, are, are, are we well, – what else do we want to say that's not spoilery? What, what, other, what other points do you want to bring up before we, we dig into the meat? Um, the weaving of the story, uh, imagery involved in the Rakugo sets because the first season did it. I think the second season did it a lot better. Because it was less pronounced and sort of the juxtaposition was stronger and bolder, but it was still more sneaky. Because mm-hmm. um, in the in the first in the first season you would have uh, a Rakugo story being told and sort of like this fade to imagery from that story. In mm-hmm. the second season you have the Rakugo being told, and then you are seeing personal representations of those characters as they appear to the storyteller and man is that an impact in the context of the, sh- the show and you mm-hmm. know, the episode and the series in total because it wraps it all up into this nice little ball and punches you in the gut with it uh, but I I, I I was really digging on that especially the Shinigami uh, presentations because there's, mm-hmm. there's a parallel between when Yakumo does it and when uh, Yotaro does it, mm-hmm. uh, and we can talk that talk about that after spoilers. But uh, I really like the fact that they were setting up tons of little parallels, and for the most part, they all work. Yeah, the Shinigami tale is an interesting one in particular because it's sort of the bracket around the whole series. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's the very first thing that Yotaro ever sees uh, Yakumo the eighth do. It's um, one that we see kind of throughout both seasons uh, at different points, and then especially here uh, in the second season towards the end, we see it twice done by uh, different folks. And it's kind of interesting to me how I, I wonder how much of the, the changes and how they represented uh, the, the, the imagery of the story were, for, were just them getting better at figuring out how to render that on the screen and how much of it was, okay, well, these guys have been around the block and they know about some rock ago now, so let's like, really hit them with, with something to deepen their immersion in the storytelling. I, I like that, and I think it's both, honestly. Because it, yeah. that's shown in um, Yotaro's telling of the Shinigami tale. And it's a wonderful, really snowball mixed uh, amalgamation of every single lesson he's supposed to have learned. Um, mm-hmm. It's personal, it's artistic. And you know it's, it's it's his ego, it's his experiences, it's him using all that through the tale, telling of the tale and this homage, and uh, yeah, it's all rather perfect and balled up in one. Yeah, I I love especially in this second season how when the nuance of 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 the the direction and the animation where the last time you see him do Shinigami, he's really he's become like. He he owns like Yotaro owns that story at that point. Like mm. he is it. Uh, and in a lot of other type of Rakugo where it was something that Yakumo was really great at, if he did it, it would look like him doing Yakumo's version of it, you know? Mm. Also his impersonation of Yakumo right at the very beginning of the first episode where he is like so spot on it's scary. <laughs> But um, 
I, I love it when they kind of when the different Rakugo performers are sort of impersonating each other. Like mm. um, when um, Yakumo does Inokori for um, for Yotaro, and and he's like become Skeroku, <laughs> like like you know possessed by Skeroku basically when he does it. Um, and that that panting that he does. Uh, afterwards, I love the fact that it's a mix of exhaustion because he's too fucking old to be that energetic anymore, and also scared out of his mind because he's you know channeling his dead best friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that one is so so great. There's that, that's what I you know just the best thing about the series is there's so many layers to pick apart on every episode, every scene. Like it's so layered. Like this is just a fantastic anime it really is it really is um all right so spoiler time in three two really turn us off because we're going to start talking about spoilers one all right ink unload well thank you for watching all of showa <laughs> genroku rakugo shinju and the sequel uh descending stories and how pissed off were you at that last episode where Kanatsu says, oh yeah, by the way, I fucked Yakumo, and that's our kid. It was, it was an incredible shock. Um, it was... Oh, hold on. What? I did have one more thing I wanted to talk to. Character designs. I loved them. I fucking I thought they were them. great. And yeah. Going, going in with our old Taku bit, like... These are reali- not only realistically old people, but they age them incredibly well. That's mm-hmm. another thing I noticed through the di- time jumps in the second season, is you know people get older realistically. They get a little pudgier, a little, a little more bags under their eyes. They move a little slower, uh, and god damn it, Konatsu's just fucking hot no matter how old she is. <laughs> um. Which, she aged let, well. me, let me take that back at, you know, mid, <laughs> mid, mid-life mid through older yeah, life. Yakimo, oh, God. <laughs> Yakimo the ninth over here, actually. Tenth? Oh, I don't know. Oh, yeah. That's um, the other bad thing. Is like That implies, obviously, he was, like, involved in statutory rape at some point. Well, you never know. You never know. Uh, anyway, character designs, yes. I think I'm going to leave the character designs in the spoiler section because... If we're talking about spoilers and character designs, there's no fucking way you don't know that kid isn't Shins. Or, uh, Bones. By the time he gets old, yeah. Yeah, especially in that very he's last basically, episode. He's basically, he's basically Yakumo's with, like, different hair. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so, so, okay. Uh, obviously, it taints everything I thought I knew about both Yakumo and Konatsu, because, let's be clear... Konatsu sought that out. She made that happen. Like, she says she made that happen. Like, that was her intention, was to have a child. She said she was confused and, like, in, in a whirlwind of emotions. She was confusing. confused about her emotions and her feelings for Yakumo. Yes. She explicitly says her plan was to have a baby with him. Does she? To, yes. She absolutely does. I remember there was... Uh... In in season one, Bone is actually accusing Shin's ghost while at the grave uh, of uh, I, well it's, it's Shin's grave. Uh, he's accusing his ghost 
of being silent and angry, and he won't speak to him. This is the very last episode in the first season. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says, are you angry because of what I've done to your daughter? That's mm-hmm. in season one. So they set it up. And I'm so angry they either you know, didn't take the time to develop that situation. They had 13 episodes and a lot of characters to go over. So I understand. So at the end of the last episode, she says... That that was what her that was her plan that was what she wanted to do. I will I will go back and I will watch it right now. <laughs> no, no, I believe you. I believe you. I uh, I sped up through the last ten minutes or so. So, God damn it. Yeah, I mean, like she she says she she wanted to carry on like their their blood like like she she says that like maybe I maybe I misunderstand it. Anyway, my point being she she. she was that because uh, of Shin? Because Shin, she says she wanted... Oh, that's right, because she does say, you know, she wanted his bloodline to continue. And I guess that's, you know, why. Yeah. Like, that's that's all in that conversation with uh, the sensei, right? You are completely um, right. Yeah. Which is all to say that, like, it, it irrevocably twisted my feelings about both Konatsu as a character and Yakumo the Eighth as a character. See, I the thing is I could have bought that had they explored it, but that but the time jump and, you know, the amount of time they had to do it in the series just wouldn't allow it. So I question their doing it at all. Mm. I felt like the crime boss thing was entirely a red herring. Yes. Like, and I felt like that was very telegraphed in that direction. Um, so when you think about like other possibilities, you basically have Yakubo or you have Rando Dude, which doesn't sound like it makes any sense. Um, but I, I will say this: like as uncomfortable and twisted as that is. It, it speaks to the fact that this is not a story about well-adjusted, <laughs> perfect people. This is a this is a story where the, these characters are incredibly complex. They it doesn't absolve them of of any any sin they have or any any fault they have uh, in them. But these are incredibly complex characters. They are incredibly broken characters in many ways, and they own that in this show. They own that in the telling of this story. Um, and it was a bold thing for them to do it. It was a bold thing for them to, to really own it if they were going to do that. Um, and, I mean, it's very intentionally designed to mess us up and to give us these complicated feelings about these characters. And that's so we don't have... Well, part of it, I think, is just owning the story. I think another part of it is... There wasn't going to be a perfectly happy ending to to this story. As much as episode eleven makes you want to feel that way and believe that way, because it's nothing but a big fantasy about you know all of them being together and, and watching the rock go and you know uh, the the spirit of Skeroku and the spirit of Miyokichi, they're they're at peace and they've come to terms with everything and they look back with you know all kinds of 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 you know, hindsight is 2020 wisdom about their lives and wait wait what what part of the super happy ending involves uh, Matsuda dying and ferrying the the couple over to the other side because i was wailing over that for like 30 minutes after the episode ended he didn't die he just kind of he's really old he took a nap and went to the the 
the <laughs> land of the dead for uh, just long enough to hop in a boat and be like dear old dependable Matsuda again. It was, his, it was his stroke that lasted like seven minutes, and he was just <laughs> thrust into that position. He, he, he was just right there, you know. Um, what I'm saying is you're, you're just, an evil man. <laughs> He got just close enough to the gates of heaven to check it out. He's like, "All right, I'll I'll be back in a little while." Um, but but actually, he he lasts fifteen more years. Um, yeah, Matsuda, and and how about a round of applause for Matsuda at the end of of the series? Because here he is, ninety five, basically a withered husk in a wheelchair at this point, but still full of of love for his. He's sort of adopted family. He's taken a life of service to, to help support. And, um, you know, he talks about we finally hear more about him and how he got involved in this right at the very end. It's like they were going down the checklist. Oh, we need to tie that up. And and Matsuda wanted to be – he wanted to be Yakimo. He wanted to be the storyteller, and he, he was never good enough, and he never had the talent. But instead – he devoted his life to to supporting uh, the seventh, eighth, and ninth Yakumo. So like, it's it's this thing where like you you got to look at him and go, man, that is a humble, like like loving, big hearted dude. He's probably the he's he's probably like the most well adjusted person in anime. Period. <laughs> you know, like, and he kind of he he's an interesting contrast, an interesting balance to. To all the other characters we see with their with their ridiculous baggage, except the two kids. Wait, 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 wait. Because so, I'm going to make everyone hate me. I'm going to say I really dislike Matsuda as a character because all he is is a skeleton wrapped in a flesh suit, and that all all his flesh comes from that last episode where they give him instantaneous backstory on top of this very boilerplate devoted servant type character. And granted, you do get glimpses into his love for Rakugo because he is he is fascinated with the reviewer. He is fascinated with uh, obviously uh, the his charge and mm-hmm. his apprentices. But right. that's good. You don't need the whole I don't I wanted to be a storyteller tacked onto it because it just seems like unnecessary emotional baggage tacked on at the last minute for emotional appeal. And I hated that. Or I hate that now, looking back at it. While watching, I loved it, because it's Matsuda. And who doesn't love Matsuda? Uh, well, then it works, and we're okay, then. Yeah, uh, but send, send, all of your, send all of your hate mail to at Animated Inc. on Twitter, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I look forward to your emails. Because Matsuda's great. And, and that's kind of... You know, like the the story did not have time to have a, a Matsuda talks about himself like scene before that. I think you know it, it didn't have to because this story is so adept at telling people's stories. They could have woven little pieces of that in there somewhere. It's so adept at telling stories about people from the Edo era of Japan. <laughs> Hell, Matsuda it's, it's, is from the Edo era of Japan. He practically is. He. Uh, it it is it, the the storytelling in this show, um, and I don't mean the Rakugo, but I mean like the actual writing and and the plotting of the show, is is just phenomenal. It's like on a, I, I would put Rakugo both seasons. I would put Rakugo up against anything, any literally anything else, like any other show, any other drama, um, and and it would it would hold its own. Um, 
in most of those cases mm. um, it, because it's just such a solid show through and through. The thing at the end, that twist with the parentage of, of you know Shin, Shinosuke, the Shinbo, the little kid, the guy who's a little kid for like 90% of the, the second season, um, definitely leaves a bitter taste in my mouth. But I didn't want a perfectly wrapped up little ending to this show. I I, I wanted I, I wanted to walk away from this show feeling a little bit conflicted because I think that's basically the way that these characters are. I think it's basically the way that the their their lives play out and and it's kind of like the author passes a little bit off off of that onto us, you know, on the way out the door uh, with the story. I can dig that, but. I would argue that it's done via cheap trick rather than careful implementation or subtle implementation, because it's it's just a gotcha, and I hate to use that, but I it really is. It's just one episode just thrown in. I there. think that's fair. I mean, it, it 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 is a bomb that goes off in your face, no doubt. But at the same time, like if you're really reading between the lines, the whole episode where Yotaro confronts the gang boss and damn near gets himself killed. Uh, you know, like trying to piss off the Yakuza boss. Well, there's actually a good reason for that too. There's a there's a good parallel between the mob boss and his son and Yakumo and Yotaro going on, because they're both going to inherit the dynasty and they're both really young and stupid, and that's why that's there. And but I also think that's also thrown in rather hastily, and like you said, a lot of a red herring. I mean, the the parallel between the the Yakuza boss and his son and Yakumo and Yotaro is nice, and I completely see that. But it, it's there to 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 kind of head fake you into, you know, hey, maybe this is you know Shinbo's dad. Oh nope, it's not. And then that hangs out there like a sword of Damocles over the rest of the show, and and so I think it was kind of inevitable that we had to. We had to have that resolved. I do agree that the way they resolve it, and I don't think that that's clumsy. I think that's very intentional on their part. Now that it wait, what what part of that is intentionally clumsy? I I, I don't think it's clumsy. I think I think the fact that they they hit you in the face with that reveal about Shinosuke's parentage, I think, is deliberate. I think it's it's meant mm. to be just this this sledgehammer to the face that it turns out to be. Um, like I, I feel like that's that's designed. I don't think that's that's accidental, and I don't think that that's just you know whether whether you feel like it's the right thing or not to have done with that particular plot thread. I think that's the choice they deliberately made in delivering that information, and that probably is something that the original author decided upon. But you know, having not read the source work, who knows how interwoven the foreshadowing is? You know, there's 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 no telling. We're just uh, we're just at odds on that moment, I guess. But one thing I did want to speak to for the um, for the mob boss is that he actually, uh, or that is not a, not just a red herring, uh, because that scene makes it very clear that there's something else going mm-hmm. on with Kanatsu, yeah. and she's keeping her own little secrets, and it does it all without saying a damn thing. Right. Like, it's just in her face and her reactions mm-hmm. and her concern for her husband uh, with this mob boss who he used to have dealings with and who is keeping his distance because he's now, uh, or Yotaro is now the uh, apprentice of this uh, Rakugo master whom 
the mob boss is very uh, befriended to. Uh, there's a lot of interconnections going on, and she's just stepping over 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 clamshells. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, she's being very careful as to not trip over everything and bring everything down in that mm-hmm. scene. And it's such a wonderful ballet. Uh, but the but the fact that she lets it known to the audience that Yotaro's assumptions are not correct, and the fact that the story lets the audience know that Yotaro fully believes this thing and just wants to let it go out, out of his own goodness. Like, okay, that was a brilliant scene, but it was still just dropped as a And I almost kind of feel like, watching it the second time, I almost feel like that in that scene, the mob boss, the mob boss's son, and the the geisha house owner, I think they're all in on it. Like, I think they all know the truth. And because that kind of explains their reactions, it also explains why the mob boss doesn't just eviscerate Yotaro and go, "Oh, sorry, Yakumo." I mean, obviously, him and him and Yakumo the Eighth have like a very tight, close relationship, and I think a lot of that has to do with Shinosuke himself and how he came to be. Um, but let's dwell. Let's go from drawing on that incredibly tragic thing to a different tragic thing. Um, the the reveal. The, I would argue that the, that the most devastating thing to me was not the, the reveal about Shinosuke's parentage. I think it's the truth about how Miyokichi and second-generation Skeroku died, how she kind of flipped out and stabbed Skeroku and then – Accidentally. Well, we, we, think, we think maybe accidentally. And this again, that's what I love about this show. It doesn't let you just come off with that clean. It, like it – it, mm. it doesn't ever feel like you you fully will ever understand what really happened. Oh my God! And, and in visuals, just to illustrate that point, is when her hand graces the knife's edge and it like spins towards the corner, but it doesn't draw any blood from her. Yeah, that's an incredibly potent image. But the fact that it turns out that Konatsu's the one who causes her parents yeah. to die is like you know she pushes. She basically makes Miyokichi trip and fall out the window. She straight up pushes her. Well, she's pushing at her, and then yeah. like she, you know, Miyokichi doesn't have her balance, and she falls out. And then Skoroku goes to catch her, and the kid's clinging on his leg, and right. Yakumo has to go, and, you know, and grab hold Konatsu. of the kid because she's in the last link in the chain, and he's yeah. the, she's the only one he she he manages to save. Yeah, and so they fall to their death. And and little Konatsu is there, and she passes out from the shock of everything, and it warp it, it it's so mentally damaging to her that she never she never knows the truth. Wait, mentally damaging uh, mentally damaging to her? What about us, man? Well, yeah, <laughs> we were yeah, no, I, that whole we, thing. Yeah, my brain leaked out my ears the first time I saw it, and it was incredibly difficult to watch even the second time. Um, the, the 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 kind of just devastating effect this has it explains so much about Konatsu and her sort of almost mental compulsion to project everything out onto uh, Yakumo and and the just that whole thing is so tragic and then Yakumo takes it upon himself to to take the blame for all of it in her eyes and constantly does and and again, the only one that knows the truth is our dear old friend that you hate, Matsuda, 
who would otherwise have never told uh, – we would never know the truth that had he not said anything. Uh, ever faithful servant, Matsuda. I mean like just all of – every time there's bad stuff that happens in the show, it's so – it's dramatic. It's not it's not that realistic, but it just it's so unclean, it's so rough, it's so jagged when it when it hits. You'll never we'll never know the truth of that night. We'll never know what actually happened with all of the parties involved. We we have a glimpse more of the truth, but we don't know how for sure Skeroku came to be stabbed, whether Miyokichi just went into a fit of jealous rage and and stabbed him for whatever reason. Or whether it was really an accident, you know. Clearly, she regrets it after immediately afterward. We'll we'll never know. And is this sort of commentary on where we want storytelling to go at this point? Because there's a point in the show where Yakumo is charged with enjoying the delivery of just really dark Rakugo, and it's it's pointed to his past and. You know why he is fixated on the dark and the tragic, and his successor being the fool that his best friend was. Mm-hmm. Does that not then say, you know, okay, the older generations were really obsessed with, you know, the tragic, the dark, the unknown. We want to get a little more light. We want to get a little more fun. I don't know that this. Storytelling. I don't know that that's a meta narrative about storytelling in general, so much as it is a very personally driven narrative that is the result of Yakumo and sort of the tragic life he's had, uh, and versus Yotaro and and the tragic life he's had, but in a much different way, uh, and how they both, how the two men both choose different paths to dealing with that pain um i i I think that you know well one thing i think yakumo has been through a way worse shit than than yotaro ever had but um you know i i think that the way the way that these two artists deal with their pain is pretty much informed entirely by their or or the way they deal with their rakugo and the way they perform their rakugo is informed entirely by how they handle pain and trauma. I wish that we had seen more of Konatsu doing Rakugo so we could see how she handles that too. And if in doing Rakugo is she able to finally kind of have that sense of inner peace and kind of let that part of her past go where she remembers the truth of the night where her parents died. Although maybe, and it certainly seems that way. Yeah. It certainly, it certainly seems this way that that she has come to peace with who she is by the end of the show. Mm. You know, probably to the point where she tells the sensei more than she intended to about Shinosuke's parentage. But um, there's the great scene. It's the same scene. It's just her sort of letting go and laughing off her divulgences as this doty old woman. Yeah, and uh, you know, she's absolutely graceful in doing so. Uh, but there's also the scene of her first Rakugo performance, which is the the elementary school show. Mm. Jigenmu. I am so sad that is her only performance in the goddamn series, because you know she was great. <laughs> yeah, she was great, but it was 
her uh, it was literally her husband pushing her out on stage that made her do it not any impetus of her own although she's been yeah. practicing and honing craft and all that but you know and all that comes out during her performance but it doesn't come out in her intention to perform and i would have really loved her to be her own inspiration for change but that's not exactly japanese culture i guess she does have that nice line in the in the last episode where she says you know she didn't want to disrupt the harmony that the men had built with rakugo but then before she realized it she had become part of that harmony yeah and i was like oh there we go you know like and i i think that the the triumph of episode 12 is you know once you're over the shock of the reveal from the first part is is more about how rakugo has has not only survived and yakumo wasn't able to take rakugo with him that rakugo shinju didn't happen um but it's blossomed and thrived and it was sort of undergoing a revitalization it looked like it was in good hands we we saw um you know, at, at long last, Yotaro takes up the mantle of Yakubo himself, and he comes, becomes Yakubo the Ninth. And in doing so, because he also went by the title Skeroku before he became Yakumo, he sort of brought the two divergent lines back together mm. um, in a different kind of way than what Shinosuke has done. I really like that. Yeah. It's, um, damn, it's a good show. There's also that huge. Uh, introduction to the final show which brings together the whole family the old generation, the new generation and the future generation where yeah. he pretty much says that on stage mm-hmm. and as, as much that, as that is telling that is wonderful because that is just a typical sort of introduction thing and it's woven into the story perfectly yeah, it's kind of like a whole family affair at this point, like everybody's just about everybody's up there. You've got Mangetsu up there. You've you've got the new Yotaro the Ninth, or Yotaro the Ninth, Yakumo the Ninth. You've you've got uh, Shinosuke, who's become uh, a Shinuchi at this point in his own right, and then you know Konatsu has become the very first female Shinuchi in her own right. So you know there's lots of imagery of spring, lots of imagery of renewal. Um, it's it's gorgeous. Uh, just the the whole way through, um, and it it ends it ends the best way. Oh my God! It has one of the best ending couple lines, where um, the author, the sensei guy, talks about you know he makes this really philosophical kind of point, almost like he belonged on Otaku no Radio. It was that kind of level of of, of deep introspection about a point, and then Yotaro kind of turns back and looks at him and goes. You smart people overthink this too much. Something this good could never die. It could never go away. And he just looks at him like, what are you, just st- stupid? <laughs> like, And then he turns and walks off, and it's like, and and the end. And it was just so good because it's like after you have, you know, 12 episodes of nothing but this, like, philosophical debate on the nature of art and how art survives and grows and thrives that that the character at the end you know who's kind of become the wise old master in his own end in his own right he he just kind of goes ah you're overthinking it this would have never gone away and <laughs> it's like well okay 
you know, it was it's a perfect ending to this incredibly long, complex journey that we've gone on. Um, so I just I love the way it ends. I, I'm right there with you. It's it's a good ending despite some thrust in things. Yeah. Unintended. Yeah. <laughs> no like, unfortunate it's... pun intended. <laughs> well, there's lots of there's lots of like you. Know, this is very much a passing of the torch and a coming of age for 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 people and you know okay um but emotionally speaking though like when you're in episode 12 and i watched every single one of them before the recording of this show like all at once man like you just don't care you're happy to see like the like the passing of the torch symbolism and imagery just kind of beating your head you're like like if you're me anyway you're like graciously accepting being beat over the head with it it was because it was fantastic um it just uh emotionally the show is so adept at making you feel exactly what it wants you to feel at any given time oh man the the depictions of yotaro and uh konatsu just like sitting on the bench being this antagonistic couple where you know and and i i totally recognize that empathy here is totally placed on the girl the 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 fiery girl becoming subservient and soft but you know it's her you know leaning her head on him and just listening literally to the vibrations of him doing rakugo that calms her down uh, but that's you know connected to what her father did and that's you know important and wonderful and human uh you know, and how much we look for our parents and our partners and et cetera. Uh, yeah. But, my God, that was a human couple. It really was, and they were so good together. And it wrenched every heartstring and plucked them perfectly. Yeah, they they have the most odd relationship. Um, but at the same time, it's it's one of the most human and honest and real relationships um that that i've seen in an anime in quite a while um and and it's it's an it's 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 a it's nice because you see plenty of romantic relationships that are especially in anime where things tend to skew towards a younger set where they're so melodramatic your line april um which i like your line april but i mean oh god you know yeah, like yeah. like that's just like a really great example of it and 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 this is such an understated and quietly powerful romance it it's you know and it it, calling it a romance even feels kind of weird but it it absolutely is and you see it more and more throughout the the second season as as they grow closer konatsu and like in her kind of fiery venom that she sort of dishes out on everyone she loves and cares about you could see it going from more of like oh it's this idiot to you know oh it's this idiot that i love yeah. <laughs> you know what other kind of closing thoughts before we get to twitter questions do you have about the about the show i don't think i have any more i think i think i'm i think i'm good let's go for some uh, twitter questions from alex osborne of ign and of course and the gamers a satisfying conclusion to the series. Would you like to see more of the stories slash characters explored in the third season or a film? Um, I thought that this was an immensely satisfying conclusion to the series. 
even though it kind of you know kicked me in the balls on the way out the door um i i could not have asked for a better ending to this series um for all of its complexity and beauty um i do not think i think this story is so done put a fork in it it's it there's no more to tell um i do not want to see any more of these characters i feel like the story and the central question that was established in this story has been answered um and i would be very dubious of a third season uh or a spinoff or a follow-up of any kind unless it had a really compelling setup and a really different and also interesting central question that was going to be as good as this because i just don't think that that's going to happen i would like uh, a spinoff i would like a spinoff centered around konatsu that actually explores as yotaro's final monologue in the series explains the opening of rakugo to women and to foreigners uh into the main theater I would really love that set up and knock down because Konatsu, I think, gets jilted. She gets the short end of the stick. She gets uh, a really enthusiastic opening set to a high school crowd as prodded by her husband. I want to see her go for it. I want to see her go for it and win the crowd. I want to see her win over the patriarchy. I want to see her turn the tides. And I want to see Yotaro supporting her doing this. And I want to see how they, what, what stories they would pick to do this. I want to see if maybe it's the new stories they're writing for Rakugo to do this. Uh, if it's the introduction of modern literature that does it. I, I would love to see all this combined to give it the, the, uh, the modern punch it needs. Because this is very much a classic show about classical art. And even though they give that nod to, yes, this classical art has opened to everyone, and it has, it, it legitimately has, like foreign performers have become very famous over in Japan for doing rock ago, uh, as and women have been doing it for years, uh, I want to see that dramatically. Mm. And I don't think the second season really got a chance to bear that. And that's what I was most disappointed in the season four because that was I was that's what I was most looking forward to. I would be okay and I'd be happy to see that story. I wouldn't want to have the same characters telling that story. I would want a completely different take on on it i would i would want like a completely different like rakugo anime that that dealt with that as its kind of central question you know i i really like i feel like these characters have gotten the as close to a right off in the sunset kind of moment as they're gonna have but but that's interesting i mean like i would love like i i agree with you though like she totally we could have had more konatsu in this in this show definitely absolutely Konatsu is betsuko yeah oh yeah no doubt uh, from Daddy Radical, who is the co-host of the Anime is Lit podcast, did you cry and when? Every fucking episode. <laughs> every fucking second. <laughs> well, maybe not every fucking second. But... There, there, were, there were so many tears that it was really hard to, to think of specifically when. Um, all of episode 11, for sure. Um, let's see... 
the episode where we find out about how Konatsu's parents actually died, the the final episode for you know on and off through that, um, the episode where uh, the episode following the episode where the truth is revealed about Konatsu's parents, where uh, Yotaro gets up and he does the same exact Rakugo that Skeroku does on the night he dies. That wrecked me horribly. Uh, That's like the most effective the most effective use of storytelling this series has because I, I don't know about you, but like you said, like that that wrecked you harder than anything else. And honestly, it's when it, it's when they compile the the fiction on top of the drama, which is basically just fiction on top of fiction, mm-hmm. that this works so hard. Like yes, you feel. For these characters being paralleled to this uh, this actual real life fiction, <laughs> also Konatsu doing Jugenmu was also just wrecked me so bad. I actually, that was the third today was the third time I watched that because I had to watch that whole see like I had I like had to stop and like calm myself and and stop you know my tears flowing and then basically start over and watch the whole episode over again. The very first time I saw that episode, so yeah, it's the tears they flowed. And uh, from at Cethelis, Cethelis, uh, do we really deserve such a show? No. Is that your full answer? Yep. <laughs> I'll say yes because Eccentric Family Two exists. And with oh. that... <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. Thank you. Uh, I guess we'll do outros. Hey, Jared, where can I, where else can we find you on the internets? Oh, gosh. Uh, not very many places lately. <laughs> I've, I've been uh, hiding away from the world for the most part, but you can find me on Twitter at Save versus Jared. Uh, that is my personal Twitter where I... Retweet random things, and I talk about random things uh, in a random order, uh, and occasionally some of them are anime. Um, I also uh, write for Any Gamers, and I write for Wave Motion Cannon. I have not done a lot of that of late, but I am going to be returning uh, to the writer's desk for both of those uh, fine websites uh, in the coming weeks and uh, getting back in the swing of that, so I'm really excited about that. And, of course, you can find me right here with Ink uh, once a month uh, doing this lovely podcast. And you can find me in the pages of Otaku USA magazine. I just did uh, a feature on Hellgirl, the entire series, uh, which is actually just finishing up with uh, Season 4 right now. You can go watch it on Crunchyroll. Uh you can find me in the back end of Get and the Gamers editing people's words, and uh, I actually do have a review written that's yet to be published sometime soon uh, on Blame. It's uh, an anime, a sci-fi anime that's uh, on Netflix right now. And uh, where else? Fandom Post, fandompost.com. You can uh, find me writing uh, ten years later articles and uh, occasional reviews. And I think that's it. Oh, yeah. Also, with my fine, fabulous co-host here, Jared, at uh, Old Takuno Radio, please also uh, listen to the 
Anagamers podcast proper, featuring Evan Minto and David Estrella, and they so kindly allow us to be hosted on their feed and cross-promote us. Well, okay. So um, this uh, wraps up this uh, episode of Old Taku No Radio. This is a very special episode, um, as I, I think Inc. alluded to uh, earlier. Uh, this is uh, the sort of celebration of our first year of existence as a podcast. So Yeah, we actually started out as a pirate and a gamer's podcast to promote Real Life, and <laughs> uh, just took it from there. Yeah, yeah. We, um, we, we really just enjoyed that so much. We wanted to keep it going, and holy crap, like here we are uh, a year later, and O&R is going on strong, and... Um, we've got so many people, uh, to, to thank for that. Uh, Inc., do you want to run through the exhaustive list of people that we need to thank? Sure. Uh, we have to thank first and foremost, Anagamers editor-in-chief Evan Minto for his encouragement and hands-off approach to letting us do what we do and continuing to cross-promote us on the AGP. We also have to thank a laundry list of guests, uh, that is only going to grow in the months and years to come. We hope. We love everyone who came on to talk with us. Elliot Page of UK Anime Network for The Girl Who Left Through Time. Kate, a.k.a. Narutaki of uh, Reverse Thieves for Samurai Jack. Scott Spaziani of Otaku and Review for Your Name. Corey and Chris of Taiku Podcast for Spice and Wolf. And Evan Minto, once again, for Otaku No Video. But most of all, we want to thank our listeners uh, going by the numbers we have We're not too good with technology, so we don't have a solid number, but the hundreds of you who are downloading and listening each month were absolutely floored and humbled that you deem us worthy of inundating your eardrums and occupying your precious time with our brand of Babel. Um, And I just want to say really quickly, I want to thank my my dear friend and co-host, Inc., for uh, jumping in on this crazy adventure uh, with me. this has been such a fun thing uh, that I look forward to doing every month, and um, I I have Aww. the best co-host in, no, in podcasting. No, I have the best podcast. <laughs> We're gonna buy matching sweaters next week, guys. <laughs> uh, but uh, just uh, Inc, thank you so much for for doing this uh, this show uh, with me, and I am honored to do it with you, and so excited about doing uh, the next year. Uh, of of show with you and we we have already been pretty hard at work on planning uh that next year and we're gonna have more guests uh we're we're really excited uh october we're gonna do the all-time you know right up there with show arakago uh the one of the (laughs) best horror anime ever go tokyo fish attack uh, and and to do this amazing show, we we couldn't bring on just any guest. We had to bring on uh, the Vincenzo Avrello of All Geeks Considered. So we're very excited uh, for Vinny to to be joining us next month for that. Uh, but uh, until then, uh, for for Ink, for me, for the show, thanks again for listening, and we look forward to you guys hopefully tuning in uh, next month and the months to come.
We did it. <laughs> A whole year. Yay. Oh, man.